a couple weeks ago, we handed out invitations to our Christmas Eve services. Remember that? And, and some of them were bundled up, or you, they had addresses on them, labels. It's with names and addresses. And representing a family that lives in this zip code, 68137, which represents metaphorically for us our Jerusalem. And so a lot of you took them, uh, and uh, I asked you also to then go to each home and bring a little plate of goodies along with it and as a gift, and then uh, offer the invitation, the card, to our Christmas Eve services. And we've had over 700, I think about 700 of those cards taken already, uh, and many of you have already gone out to ring those bells. Uh, and you know, you, if you did, you met somebody there and you gave it to them, or maybe that you rang the bell or knocked on the door and nobody was home or they didn't answer, so you have to decide, okay, uh, maybe I'll leave it here on the step, or I'll try to come back later. Uh, I know some people say, well, I, one of the cards I had, I, it was an apartment building, and uh, I couldn't get in. So, I, you know, you weren't able to make that delivery. But I'm hearing a lot, <coughs> pardon me, of good reports of, of how you have uh, made deliveries and kind of what has happened. So if you have a story to share, maybe about somebody you visited and kind of what transpired, or maybe just sort of your own personal feeling and reflection after making several deliveries, uh, just what that experience was for you, would you just raise your hand? And uh, we'd like to bring a mic your way and have you could just slip up and share your story briefly. Um, so anyway, who'd like to go first? All right, we have a, we have a wit taker here. Sandy. Well, my first one, my first home that I delivered to was, I believe, a single man, and um, I, I didn't take baked goodies because I didn't know if they would eat them if a stranger right. brought them. So I took him bags of candy, and oh, he was all smiles, and he says, well, I go to the Catholic Church, but I was raised Methodist, and I said, oh, well, <laughs> you decide to come back, come back. And then another house I went to, Walt was sitting in the car waiting for me, and this dog came around the corner and got me cornered. And I am not afraid of dogs, but that one I was. He looked older than I was, but he... <laughs> <laughs> but he, I still was afraid of him, and I stood on that porch quite a while until... Well, we talked about last time, this, we're, we're doing an act of danger in some cases, aren't we? It probably felt like that to you. Well, thank you for sharing with us. Uh, we have another one here. Yeah, Chris. Um, Steve and I actually went out to about 11 doorbells, and uh, we had really pretty two that were pretty incredible stories. And, and one was a um, woman, I would guess she was about in her 40s, and she and her daughter answered the door together, and they were in shorts and T-shirts. And it was a very cold and windy day that day, but they came outside and stood on the steps for probably 10 minutes and just wow. talk to us about our faith and why Faith Westwood is important to us. But the huh. most important thing to them was how do we have to dress when we come? Oh. And I had on a pair of jeans and a sweatshirt and I said, I would go to church in this. And I think what I got from them is that maybe they had been hurt in the past from not being able to wear dresses okay. or dress up a lot and they were really impressed that you know our church would just welcome them however they were um, and we were very touched by that 
Yeah. Um, the other story we had was we went to probably the same apartment building and, and uh, we actually did make a connection with someone that came down. And as it turned out, um, Steve's father is a Presbyterian pastor. Mm -hmm. And um, this woman was talking about having grown up in this very small country church of probably 15 people. And as it turned out, she, this church that she went to was Steve's father's church. Oh. And uh, she grew up in that church and, and uh, had somewhat lost her way along the journey and is now living in the big city of Omaha. And um, she was very, very excited to be making some kind of a spiritual connection with someone. Um, and we actually gave her our phone number um, and names and phone number, wrote it on the card and told her if she ever wanted to reach out, um, we would be more than happy to meet her here. Um, yeah. She was a little, little afraid to come in sure. by herself. So. Yeah. Well, very good. That's quite a connection. Who else would like to share? I could just point and pick somebody. <laughs> okay, we got one more. I was able to take the grandkids out, and we started uh, with trying to select one child to go up to the door and go, and by the end of our eight that we delivered, they all wanted to go at the same time, oh, yeah. and then asked if I had any more to give out. So it was a real event for them, and they had a great time doing that. All right. Thank you, Jan. All right. Well, thank you for sharing your stories about that, and I know there are more uh, out there. Uh, anyway, like, what I'd like us to do now is pray about all those who have received these and will be receiving these. <clears throat> Lord God, uh, I would imagine a few hundred families have received these gifts and invitations and a few hundred more probably will this week. Uh, and Lord, we thank you for the receptivity that we found in so many of these homes. Lord, thank you for preparing their hearts we ask that you would continue to, to work in their hearts and create a curiosity that will lead them back to you. Jesus, and we also want to thank you for sending us because we need it. We, we need to experience this privilege of representing you even in this small way. Lord, it makes us feel like the angels kind of proclaiming the story, or these shepherds who, who after seeing the baby Jesus, they, they went out and told everybody in the area. So thank you, Lord, for giving us this opportunity. And all God's people said, amen. Well, today is the fourth and final Sunday of Advent and our countdown to Christmas. Uh, in our series we've been doing called Under Wraps, we're asking the question, what does Christmas tell us about God? That'd be a good, good question to ask, right? What does Christmas tell us about God? <coughs> Pardon me. And today we're going in a direction you might not expect. We're saying that God is jealous. God is jealous? I mean, that makes us nervous because being jealous does not have a good reputation. I mean, somebody who's jealous may be possessive, distrustful, suspicious, insecure, maybe even violent. If we say God is jealous, I mean, we, we, what do we do? We may, we may make God sound like an unhealthy person. We risk God, making God look like a bully. 
a reactive, manipulative, abusive deity, someone you would never trust. And look at all the times in the Bible. I mean, you can go through the Scriptures and find all the times where the word jealousy is listed among sins. For example, in uh, Galatians chapter 5, right before it gives us the list of the fruit of the Spirit, it gives us the list of the works of the flesh. In, in, starting with verse 19, it says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warned you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's jealousy right in the smack middle of this list. So how can we say God is jealous. Well, I'm going to tell you how. Because jealousy can go in two directions. There's good jealousy. There's bad jealousy. For example, the Apostle Paul, who was the one who gave us that long list of uh, works of the flesh I was telling you about, uh, he, another time he writes to a group of Christians in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, and he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. A godly jealousy. So there's, there's such a thing as a good, godly jealousy. And the word trans, words translated for jealousy, uh, both in the Hebrew and the Old Testament and the uh, Greek and the New Testament, depict a burning, passionate desire. And the word comes from a root that means hot or boiling. And so translated, it can mean zealous or jealous. So when Paul's writing to the Corinthians and he's telling them, <coughs> pardon me, I am, I'm jealous for you with a, with a godly jealousy. He's saying, you know, I promised you to Christ. You're like his bride. And then when someone else comes along and tells you about a different Jesus or a different Holy Spirit or a different gospel, you get sucked right in. I'm jealous for you to come back with a godly jealousy. So Paul, is he angry here? I think he is a little bit. Why? Because he loves them. You know what that's like, don't you? When you're angry with somebody because you love them? I remember some years ago, I got, I got kind of pretty upset with a close relative of mine. Um, and uh, if, But if he had been someone I didn't know, I wouldn't have gotten so upset. Because he was making some really dumb decisions, and I got angry. I got in his face because I love him. There's anger in jealousy, but with godly jealousy, it never loses its focus on love. It never loses its focus on love. The first time we see God's jealous love is in the Ten Commandments. Uh, God begins the, the, the Exodus chapter 20 starts with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Commandment 1, 
you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment two, you shall not make an image of anything and bow down and worship it. And then he gives why. Why? It's right there in the Ten Commandments. Because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And so while Moses is up on, on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, the Israelites freak out because the Israelites freak out because, you know, he's been up there so long and we don't know what's going to happen. And so they decide, okay, we're going to take matters into our own hands. We're going to make a calf, an image of a calf like all the other nations have. And we're going to worship it and bow down to it and say, this is our God who brought us out of Egypt. And God's jealous love burned against the people of Israel. And Moses expressed a godly jealousy by throwing down the tablets containing the Ten Commandments and smashing them to bits. Now, what is a jealous, what is a relationship of godly jealousy like? Godly jealousy. The closest human correlation I can come up with is marriage. In a healthy marriage, both the husband and the wife have a godly jealousy for one another and for the relationship. For example, two and a half years ago, um, I got this. That's my iPhone. Never had an iPhone before, and so I had to learn how to work it, right? Takes a while. There's, there's a there's a curve to that, and so I had, and of course you have to, you know, figure out what apps you're going to get, and download those, and figure out how to work all of those, and, and of course I was pretty fascinated with my new toy, uh, and I needed to, you know, I wanted to check the weather, and I checked to see who commented on my Facebook post, and I, and I checked to see my email and my text messages, and, and, and I know, I know it looked like I was staring at my phone a lot, but sometimes I was reading the Bible, just so you know. What could be wrong with that? Well, I'll tell you what was wrong with it. I was not fully present. Do you know what that means? I was not fully present. I put my wife in the terrible position of being jealous of an electronic device. I, she may have wondered if she was feeling like, if she was like in second place to a stupid phone. You know, the same thing can happen uh, if we're married to our work or married to sports or married to hunting or married to parenting or married to the Huskers. And that's when jealous love has to step in and say, enough. I feel second to your phone. I feel second to your job. I feel second to your friends. I feel second to your parents. And you mean too much to me. And this relationship means too much to me to be satisfied with second. That is a godly jealousy. So I want to say three things about godly jealousy. The kind of jealousy that God has toward us. First, God's jealous love burns for the priority of the relationship. 
Will you say that one with me, please? God's jealous love burns for the priority of the relationship. After Moses smashes the Ten Commandments, he goes back up the mountain to get another copy, right? And that's when God warns him what it's going to be like when the Israelites enter the promised land. God says, they're going to meet people who worship fertility gods and fertility goddesses, all in an attempt to control the weather and control their crops and their profits. And they're going to want to make a treaty with you. But a treaty is going to mean honoring their gods. And the Israelites will be attracted to those gods. So God says, when I drive away the inhabitants, you must smash their idols. And God says, as Laura read earlier, Exodus 34, Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So, what threatens the priority of your relationship with God? What threatens the priority of your relationship with God? This morning I'm borrowing a few ideas from Tim Keller, and he shares about waking up a certain morning and realizing that he has two competing choices as he gets out of bed that morning. One choice is to start the day by setting his heart and mind on God in prayer. But he also has three emails that he needs to reply to, and they're kind of weighing heavily on his mind, and it's bothering him because he, he doesn't want these people to be mad at him. So instead of opening the day with God, he starts the day by trying to please these three people by email and make sure they're not mad at him. He says it's often the little things that threaten the priority of his relationship with God. So let me ask again. What threatens the priority of your relationship with God? In your life, what is it that would encroach and come before God in your life? You see, God's jealousy burns to be your first love. In the Old Testament, which of course was Jesus' Bible, right? God tells the prophet Hosea to marry a woman named Gomer. Uh, but there's an issue here because she has already a reputation and a tendency to be unfaithful. But God arranges this marriage to symbolize how the Israelites have been unfaithful and prostituted themselves by chasing after other gods. So anyway, Hosea marries Gomer, and uh, after a while, true to her history, Gomer leaves. She takes off, and she chases after her lovers and all the promises, all the favors they promise her. And God tells Hosea, I know just how you feel. Hosea, I know just how you feel. My people have left me for other lovers, for other gods. And then God tells Hosea to do something shocking. He says, I want you to go out and find her. Go find Gomer, your unfaithful wife, and bring her home and love her. So he does. He goes out 
and he finds her and he finds that she is for sale as a slave. And she's being sold cheap so her owners must not think she's even worth much. But Hosea, he pays the money and he buys her and he brings her home. And I thought, what a, what a picture of God's jealous love to bring us back. To say, I, I, I want a, a faithful relationship with you. And that leads to our second thing. God's jealous love burns for the fidelity of the relationship. Let's say that one together. God's jealous love burns for the fidelity of the relationship. Like Hosea, Jesus shows up to, to buy us back, to win back our hearts. He wants to make us faithful again. He wants to establish an, exclu an exclusive relationship with us. You know, it's the same with a healthy marriage. There is a jealous love that burns for the fidelity of the relationship. The marriage covenant, you know, when I, when I lead a wedding ceremony... One of the questions that, that I ask includes that they forsake all others. Forsaking all others. There can, be, there can be no rivals. And you know, I'm amazed the way some people seem oblivious to that. They develop friendships in secret from their spouses. And they develop maybe an emotional bond with that person. And they say, well, yeah, it's okay. I haven't, I haven't, it's not like I've committed adultery. And I say, oh, yeah? Let's say you're a wife and, and your husband, you know, gets on your nerves, which I'm sure never happens, you know. But there's a guy at work, and he's a really good listener and a really nice guy, and you start sharing personal things with him that you wouldn't share with your husband and, and your, your husband has no idea what you're telling this guy or let's say you're a husband and there's a woman at the gym that you've gotten acquainted with and you're telling her oh you know my wife she just she's always on me and she doesn't understand me and your wife doesn't know you're having these conversations you see what you've done? You have drawn a circle around you and this other person, and your spouse is excluded from that circle. That's infidelity. And that's maybe a picture of how we can commit infidelity against God. We, we make a, our our career, our God, and the circle is drawn there. Or, or we make the approval of others our God, and that's where we draw the circle. And God says, oh, you're breaking my heart. That's my place. The relationship that, that you would turn to for meaning and purpose in your life, that relationship that defines you, that's my place. Not long ago, I was visiting with a with an old friend, we hadn't seen each other in quite a while. We got together for lunch, and part of our conversation catching up was learning about what was going on with each other's kids because it had been even longer since we'd seen each other's kids. And, and then he asked me this question. He says, what is most important to them? Whoa, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. 
And so I thought about it for a little while, and, and I, I, you know, it came up with what I thought was a, a, a thoughtful answer from my point of view for what appeared to be most important to my son and what appeared to be most important to my daughter. And then he shared the same about his kids. And so I'm wondering, what would someone say is most important to you? What do you pour your life into? What do you pour your heart and soul into? What do you get passionate about? What is most important to you? You see, God's jealous love burns for the fidelity of this relationship. And then there's one more, and I'll just have you say this one with me now. God's jealous love burns for the intimacy of the relationship. Now, you may be surprised to hear it, but the Ten Commandments were not mostly about rules. Did you know that? They were mostly about a relationship. Because as they start out, God says, I am the Lord your God. Saying, I am your God. You are my people. We live in a covenant relationship. A number of people through the years have described, you know, because I'm a pastor, they've described to me how their marriage ended. And, and there are different stories, different kinds of stories. One scenario uh, that, that some people find themselves in is that they were merely coexisting. They were no longer sharing life together. They were saying, you know, it's just kind of like we were roommates, living independent lives. And in some cases, nobody did anything about it. Nobody stood up and said, hey, you know, this isn't working. We need to change. And if you won't change, then I'm going to try to change and hope that you'll eventually come around and change with me. But I am going to fight for us. I'm going to fight for our relationship. I'm going to jealously fight for what we could be. One day last week, I, uh, I went through, you know, I kind of worked through lunchtime, and I ended up going out and, uh, uh, to a drive through restaurant, you know, and, and, I, and I ordered a Swiss mushroom burger. Mm-mm. And I pulled up, and the, and the kid at the window told me how much it was going to be and uh, for something, and I handed him a five, and he handed me back some change, and then he gave me a bag with my burger in it, and he said, have a nice day. That was a transactional relationship, right? A transactional relationship. Sometimes marriage can devolve into a transactional relationship where we're not really sharing life. We're just taking care of business, taking care of business. And sometimes our faith and our relationship with God devolves into a transactional relationship. But you see, God wants more than that. God doesn't want you just for what you can do, as if doing all the right things is really what God is all about. God wants you, you. When Jesus asked 
was asked about what the greatest commandment, he said, here, just do this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he says that because God, that's how God loves us. God loves us with every bit of who God is, even down to sending his, his only son to be with us, to, to, to live with us and die for us. And that's how he wants us to love him in return with all that we are. And of course, once you get into a relationship with God like that, it is going to change you. It's going to change even what you do. It'll change, it'll change how you treat others. Uh, loving God is going to include loving your neighbor as yourself, treating others the way you want to be treated. But most of all, God wants to be in a relationship with you. A relationship of priority and fidelity and intimacy. And if you fail to put God first, if you give up on being faithful, if you're content to just live a transactional relationship, God, he's going to fight for you. You're going to arouse his jealous love. Now, I confess to you that when I hear Jesus say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, I don't know if I know how to do that. In some ways, it, it just seems so expansive, it's out of reach. I mean, am I even capable of a love like that? And, and if, I, if I did experience it, would I even know it? So, I'm thinking maybe it's not about perfection. It's kind of like marriage. It's not about perfection. Maybe loving God with all my heart, soul, and mind is something I'm supposed to aim for, strive for. And even if I don't do it perfectly, by aiming for it and striving for it and investing in it and growing in it, God is pleased. God is pleased. That's love. Our God is a jealous God. And that's why Jesus came. This jealous God loved us so much. He sent his only son to win us back, to bring us back home. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, sometimes we just kind of go through the motions and we get this idea that uh, all we need with you is a transactional relationship. I feed you requests. You're supposed to bless me. Um, I give and then you take care of me. Oh, Lord, we ask that you'll help us to not get lost in that, in that petty kind of relationship when you want so much more, when you're fighting for so much more. Lord, it's just amazing to think that you would want this kind of relationship with us, a relationship of, of priority and fidelity and intimacy. And yet, it sounds so almost too good to be true so beautiful, so full of grace. <laughs> and maybe there are some of you here today who have said, you know, I think I've been kind of 
stuck lately or maybe all my life in this sort of transactional relationship with God. But I want more. And maybe the fact that I feel that I want more means that God is fighting for me even right now. So if, if you feel like you want more right now, would you just raise your hand as an act of faith and say, Lord, I want more. I want more. Oh, Lord, thank you. And you, we know that you see the, the desires of our hearts as well as the position of our hands. And yet, Lord, we know that sometimes we, we have a hard time wanting to love you like that. And so we say, oh, Lord, we need your grace. Change our hearts. Give us that, an increased desire to want more. We thank you for your jealous love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.